Hounicon. 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 You're listening to Hounicon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hounicon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. On this episode, we'll hear from a man whose primary language is Potawatomi. We'll also visit a tattoo shop owned by a tribal member and pick berries at the CPN Community Garden. Almost 30 years ago, Wamigo descendant Isaac Bruno took up the art of tattooing. Nearly three years ago, he opened his own shop, The Mad Tatter, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. The 1951 Walt Disney animated feature, Alice in Wonderland, inspired the interior decor and name. The business, his career, and personality mixed together creativity and fun. Walking through the Mad Tatter is a completely immersive experience meant to draw clients away from the fear of what they're about to go through and remind them of the art in the process. Each room's theme achieves that goal. One features the Cheshire Cat jumping off the walls in vibrant pinks and purple, and customers constantly compliment the work. I've always wanted to own my own tattoo shop. Um, I wanted to do something just totally different from every other cookie cutter place. So I came up with Alice in Wonderland with the Mad Tatter. It was something really bright and colorful that everybody could relate to, something that they could dive into to kind of forget about, oh my God, I'm going to get stabbed with a needle or pierced or whatever. Bruno and his family run it. His wife handles the business end of things, and his kids keep the shop clean and organized. They decorated, painted, and crafted it together too. My wife, we gave her a spray gun and she painted everything just frickin' blue or green and and I do mean everything, floors, ceiling tiles, she kind of goes a little wild with it, but, but everybody in the family helped. And Bruno wants customers to feel like family. He listens to every idea that comes through and helps clients mold their visions into beautiful tattoos. More than crazy color schemes and leaving a big impression, he says it's about something much simpler respect and friendliness. I think they get the the feeling that we're just we're just down to earth people, you know, just having a good time and and people want to be around that, you know, they don't want to be around someone that's tell them, you know, being all negative or being grumpy or this and that, you know. They want to be around happiness and and this place is pretty happy. He started drawing and learning about art in the first grade when he won his first art contest. He drew the Starship Enterprise from the sci-fi series Star Trek and beat kids older than him. One of the art teachers taught Bruno different techniques throughout his childhood and inspired him to continue creating. When it came time to decide on a career, Bruno considered being a chef. Well, I, I knew I would either be in some type of art or in cooking because I love to cook. So I, I knew it would be in one of those, and cooking school was so expensive, so I was like, okay, maybe we'll chase this art dream. So that's when I got into airbrushing motorcycles and, and that type of thing. So it was, it just kind of led me down that path, and it's a blast. 
Since then, he picked up airbrushing, glass blowing, leatherworking, and more. Bruno has always enjoyed experimenting with art. Planning people's ideas with them, no matter the inspiration, remains one of his favorite parts of tattooing. You know, of course everybody loves doing skulls and dragons, and but, but those are, I mean, I just have fun just drawing. I mean, I get to color with loud crayons all day long, so I mean, who doesn't like that? His attraction to striking palettes and what he calls darker twisted stuff shows in the designs of the building. The nickname The Mad Tatter came from clients and co-workers commenting on the fact that after almost three decades poking people with needles, Bruno still doesn't have a tattoo. So people always kind of, man, you're kind of mad, you know, you don't have, you know, how can you do this? And it just kind of fell into place. I never considered myself the Mad Tatter, it just kind of people are kind of associating it with me since I've been doing it for so long and I haven't tasted it. His reason? They hurt. <laughs> and I am not into pain <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Bruno has completed a countless number of sessions throughout his career. One day, he and one of his most loyal clients tallied up how many tattoos he had given her and it topped 100. Bruno feels grateful that people want a piece of his art on them forever. I guess when when they say, oh, I love it, you know, I mean, you're, you're really looking for that. But when they look in the mirror and they just start crying because it, it touches them so much, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Repeat customer Virginia Grammer says there's no way she would go anywhere else. She stopped in to get her fourth tattoo from Bruno. It is a angel that my daughter made when she was like four. She's about to be 18 and I call her monkey so the inside of it is going to be a um, color, watercolor monkey. All the tattoos Isaac's done on me, that everything has meaning to them for me. After Bruno works a while, Grammar hops out of the chair to take a look in the mirror and turns toward her daughter. See, that is awesome. Do you like it? Do you like it, monkey? No, I like it just like that. Yeah? Yeah. I don't want that right in there, awesome. I think. <laughs> no, I agree. I totally okay. agree. That looks so good. Thanks to customers like Grammar, the Mad Tatter won the Shawnee New Stars Best of the Best Reader's Choice Award for Best Tattoo Parlor in 2018. Um, they called us and told us, and we're like, that's a thing? And they're like, you didn't know anything about it? I was like, uh, no. It's like, so you haven't been telling people to vote? It's like, oh, you didn't even know it was a thing, you know, so... So that kind of blew us away. Bruno grew up around Shawnee, and now he and his family own land not far outside the city limits. They thought the town was big enough to bring them business, but small enough that the Mad Tatter would stand out. You know, it's not oversaturated with other tattoo shops, with other art places. I mean, it has other art studios. And that's kind of the way I feel like. I feel like we're just a, a large art studio, you know, except mine's just a little more permanent. Besides becoming the town's favorite tattoo salon after only a couple of years, the Bruno family made a name for themselves by giving back to the community, too. They participate in outreach programs like Toys for Tots, hold food drives, provide sponsorships for rodeo participants, and much more. Family is the most important thing to us. Um, just to help out people. You know, I mean, there's been times when, you know, I didn't have food on my table, and people were kind enough to help me and we want to do the same thing. We're in the position to where we can actually help people now, and we're just stoked about it. 
Bruno wants to be a space in the community that's more than a tattoo shop. He invites everyone to visit. You know, and even if you're not into tattoos and piercings, I mean, you can just come and hang out. We got a game room, you know, our media room, and they can just hang out and just have fun with us. The Mad Tatter continues to develop and expand its services. Within the last year, they've hired a piercer and additional tattoo artists who are just as mad as Bruno. But as the Mad Hatter says, the best people usually are. Find the Mad Tatter on social media. They're on Facebook at Shawnee the Mad Tatter and on Twitter at the Mad Tatter OK. Don Perot is the last Heritage Fluent Potawatomi speaker for the Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation. Born in Arpen, Wisconsin, he learned the language living in a traditional indigenous community with his family. Perot began helping citizen Potawatomi Nation members learn the language in the mid-1970s, leading the way through the decades to his 80th birthday in August. When I started school at the age of six, that is when I was introduced to English. I had heard a lot of words prior to that, of course, with many visitors that came around, farmers that we knew in the area. So I knew how to say hello, goodbye, how are you, things of that nature, but I really didn't understand what they meant, except that it was a greeting like bourgeois, nijina, nijinagin, nijinagin, you know. I, I, I knew all that. Well, we were told that we had to go to school, my brother Edward and I. So as we, as we moved to the area of uh, Wisconsin Rapids, I attended a, a school called Grove School. And I went there for the full eight years, well, it was a little traumatic at first because uh, people made fun of the way I tried to speak. I, of course, spoke a, a type of pidgin English, you might say. But there were two excellent teachers that I had back then. That was a Mrs. Koneski and a Mr. Amundsen who watched all that. And both of them were English teachers. So they kind of, uh, Mrs. Koneski, more than Mr. Amundsen, took me under her wing and taught me the rudiments of English, so the, all the basics that I needed to know. And within about three years, I was reading, writing, and everything. So it didn't take very long, because I, at that time, I could speak Potawatomi, Menominee, Ojibwe, and quite a bit of Winnebago. Everybody spoke each other's languages back then. You had to, to survive. If some Winnebago came in and had something to trade and all he could speak was Winnebago, if you didn't understand his language, there was no business done. <laughs> or, and Menominee's as well. Everything is connected in the language. You know, uh, the material culture is part of it, the physical culture, the spiritual culture, the social culture, even the financial culture, the things that we, that we talk about as far as dealing in trade and things of that nature. When you learn a language, you, you learn how to participate in the language. So if your group is, goes to church or ceremony, as we said, you become part of that as well. So there's a ceremonial language you also learn. So as you grow, you grow into it. I stress learning before reading and writing. If you introduce a piece of paper to someone, especially someone who has, uh, who has an English-dominated mind, we call it the English paradigm. 
And if you introduce paper to those people, that's what they focus on, everything that they want to learn. You have to either write it or so they can read it. And learning a language is not about reading and writing. Learning a language is about listening, hearing all the sounds, and then imitating those sounds to the best of your ability. And of course, the language is such that uh, it has a life of its own. And um, if you s greet somebody, bonjour, nijana, that's not the only way to say that. There are probably five or six different ways to greet someone and to ask as to their welfare. And answers are the same way. There, there are many different answers you can give as far as how you're doing. You don't have to always answer Asia on Wigeh. My involvement with Citizen Potawatomi goes all the way back to uh, probably 1972. And then 76, I came down and did some other things. And then after 1978, the longest walk, I did come down here more often. So my, my involvement with them was somewhat sporadic. I believe I, I started them out on the, on the road to learning their language because no one down here really actually spoke the language anymore. And it was just a, a small building. But I recall uh, being asked to teach language. And I, I believe I signed a contract to come back for six months, one, one week out of every six months, to come back and, and, and teach about the Potawatomi, our history, language, uh, ceremonial structure, things of that nature. And I, I recall doing that. And then, uh, of course, uh, my wife and I moved down here in 2005. We lived in Tecumseh for that was five years, I think, until September of 2010. I had to return home to Wisconsin because my mother became very ill and died three years later. I believe that we're supposed to learn our language at home. That's how I learned it. I didn't learn my language by reading a book. I didn't learn my language by someone writing a bunch of stuff on a, on a blackboard or something for me. I didn't learn my language because somebody was streaming my language. I learned my language by listening to the old people, listening to my older peers, my, not only my elders, but also my, my, my mother and dad, my different cousins, relatives that could speak the language because that's all we ever did. We talked Potawatomi, Ojibwe, Menominee. But unless this language gets returned back to the home structure where it belongs and it's taught at home, it's not really going to survive. Because what you're going to produce is you're going to produce a lot of clinically lab-trained speakers. My wife is Polish-Ukrainian, and um, she never knew the language. I met her 17 years ago, and we got married. She did not know the language. She wanted to learn the language for the benefit of our children, if we had children. So we have, we've had only one child. I've been married before, so one, one child, a whisper. And we're, we're taking care of our granddaughter also, but all our children are learning the language because my wife took the time to learn the language. So she co-teaches with me. She's uh, about a seven on a, uh, on a semi-fluent uh, scale. She was measured by the University of Wisconsin as to her, as to her knowledge by linguists there. So I'm very proud of her because she took the time to learn my language. So I haven't learned Polish. <laughs> but she took the time to learn my language. And that, that really 
says something about her character. I've always told people you have to listen to a fluent speaker so you can hear those subtle little nuances, those little inflections, those intonations that they use. And uh, that's how my, my wife learned. My mother was still alive then, and they would talk and talk and talk. My, I told my mother, don't talk English. Don't talk English to her. You, you talk Potawatomi to her, and that's how she learned she had to. She was immersed in it from me and my mother. There were just a host of speakers that, that passed away over the years, over the last 25, 30 years. So my mother passed away uh, September of 2013, leaving me the sole heritage, heritage fluent speaker for Prairie Bend. I'm, I'm the sole speaker that they have left, but I live in Wisconsin. I, w I went about my life in, a, in a, I thought, a good way trying to f fill my life with something useful to be a, a credit to my people. I'll be 80 years old in, in August. Before I leave this earth, I'd like to leave a lexical work, a complete lexical work in Potawatomi for all the people that are trying to learn language. Learn more about the CPN Language Department by visiting potawatomi.org backslash language and find their events on the potawatomi.org events calendar. The Hanukkah newspaper publishes an update from the Language Department in every edition. On a fruitful patch of land not far from Citizen Potawatomi Nation headquarters, the tribe started a community garden named Gitemgen, We Grow It. It is a combination of untamed and plotted land with crops grown from heritage seeds passed down for generations. But on a beautiful day at the beginning of June, people came out to wade through the wildflowers and brush to hunt for berries. Is that yummy? Yummy. There's one. Look at there. There's yeah, so a berry. Be real easy. There, is, there you go. Put it in your bucket. Right by that tree. The community garden manager, Kaya Deerenwater, and Cultural Heritage Center cultural education specialist, Kristen Wilson, came up with the idea to host a family berry picking workshop to get tribal members and their children outdoors with an activity that follows in the steps of their ancestors. I just call them makutaminin, blackberries, uh, but they're actually dewberries. I don't know if down here there's a word in Potawatomi for them. Um, and they grow all over the place in fields and on the edges of forests and um, they come to their peak ripeness um, right about now beginning of June end of uh, May and then we get the real blackberries a month later so this is kind of like a taste an appetizer approximately 10 people from the larger community showed up to the event half of them kids um, I first wanted to say thank you for coming Miigwech. And um, we are, since we're at a berry picking event, I thought it would be appropriate to offer a little prayer um, for all the, the thanks that we have for the land and the berries and Creator um, for giving us this opportunity to have these gifts, these lovely sweet gifts in the early summer that uh, we do. So, Nui um, Madmo. Menado Jeep de Bien Wedge Mokek.
After a short prayer in Potawatomi and putting down a gift of tobacco to Creator, Deer and Water led the group to an overgrown field. As participants walked along in their rain boots and short-sleeved shirts on the warm day, he warned them about red ant piles and deep mud from the previous day's rainfall. All right, so this is the path I've mowed. It goes, it wanders around in here. There is all the way up until that back corner, there is berries everywhere. Um, the garden's tall plants and vegetation support the natural growth of wild berries, which Deer and Water says is an important link to native heritage. These berries come from the lands. They're not cultivated. And, um, you know, our ancestors said we we're made from the land, and that's because they ate everything off the land. And so this is a reconnection with our ancestral food waste. Tribal member and Batiste family descendant Kay Coffey came to pick berries with her great-grandson Leroy and his grandmother Susan Hartman. We've been involved with the cultural classes and we've been staying up with the information and the activities that they've been doing. And so that's how we've been finding out. And then we've been trying to do things with him and show him different cultural things. Leroy turns three years old later in 2019, and the women thought bringing him out to the garden would be another fun activity to add to his summer adventures and learning experiences. We're showing him how food is when it's first, you know, growing, and then now he'll get to see the progression up to the real product or produce. I mean, I'm, a, I'm glad we have all this. So who here has picked dewberries before? Who's eaten dewberries? It's been a long time ago. When I was His age? about five, okay. we used to go to uh, out on my aunt up in Mayetta, Kansas. Mm -hmm. They lived out in the country, and we'd go up there. We'd go down the dirt road, and then for dinner, we'd uh, had chickens. We'd go out and get a chicken and prepare it for dinner. Then we'd go out and pick up strawberries and blueberries for dessert. And she'd make homemade. So I think it's important for kids to be outside and um, get to uh, have fun events like this with the family berry picking so that they can really experience, um, you know, where their food comes from. And also, it's exciting. It's, you know, it's. Um, the, the thrill of the hunt, getting to look for blackberries, which one's ripe, which one's not, and oh, I found one. Before everyone started roaming through the area, Deer and Water pointed out which plants the berries grew on and what they looked like to Leroy and his grandmother Susan. They're, they're going to be great for the kids because they're on the ground, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, they're right here. See, and look, so Leroy, this, that's what we're picking. This is all berries. That's berries, that's berries, that's berries. Um, and berries? it's the very end of the season, so some of them might be a little dry, but just keep looking. I, I was out here yesterday morning, and there, if you... Come on, let's go look. The red ones are not ripe, and the black ones are ripe. And then, if it pulls off the vine really easily, that means it's extra ripe. Um, if you have to tug a little bit, then it probably is not so ripe. But, um, yeah, and the ones that are are really soft, are even more ripe. They've sat in the sun. All those sugars have kind of uh, had time to warm up and really get sweet. Hmm. I could eat them all day. <laughs>
Leroy soon celebrated throwing his first berries in his bucket with deer and water, and now the hunt was on. That's okay. That's okay. Well, look, what more. is that? Okay. Here's some more. Do you want to pick them? Oh. There's three right here. Oh, and there's two more right there. Oh, and there's five more right here. Oh, and there's three more right there. Oh my gosh, they're all over the place. Oh, wow. Oh, what are we going to do? Pick them. Let's pick berries. So many berries. With his grandmother by his side, Leroy pulled them from the plant and stuck them straight into his mouth. That's okay. the juice. Want to taste it? Oh. Good? Yeah. Yeah, good? Here's some more berries. Look at that. There's a bunch in here. Kind of sticky, huh? It says juice in here. Yeah, they're kind of kind of sticky in there. Right there? Oh, I just want to taste it. Do you want to taste it? Okay. The recommendation is that you be outside for 30 minutes a day, and that's really for your senses and for vitamin D, so it's a really good, healthy um, alternative to sitting indoors, on t watching TV. Um, but it's also important for our young ones to get to um, be with family and all be uh, together and doing the same thing and um, you get to eat these tasty blackberries at the end which is an added treat. There's a whole bunch right here. Mom, Look at all these. Mom, I see the little one. I'll pick the little one. You want to pick the little one? I'm going to start. Did you get it? Can you get the other ones? Look at all those berries. Daddy is going to like your berries that you bring home. Everyone filled their buckets within a couple of hours and took home a load of sweet treats. Deer and Water recommended serving them with vanilla ice cream for an extra refreshing outdoor summer dessert. The CPN Cultural Heritage Center and Community Garden host cultural classes and garden work parties regularly. Visit Potawatomi.org and click the Events tab to check the schedule and plan a visit. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A. W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech Nikanek, Bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.